Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Good day, everyone. Steve Green here, the success doctor, back at you with another episode of the Make the Grade podcast. You know, I get excited when I have a really high quality guest on the show, which is exactly the case today. Uh, Nuro Nicole Foy is our guest today. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. My name's Noel, and everybody. Oh, Noel, Everybody, it's so funny. It happens all the time. <laughs> That's all. Well, there you go. I, I need a uh, the stress, the stress, the stress. <laughs> Well, that's a good lead-in for the title of today's podcast, which is The Impact of Stress on Learning. And we have a resident expert on the podcast today, so we were going to jump right into it. Let me give you a little bit of background about the podcast and uh, Noel A. The Make the Great Podcast has basically one mission, to provide parents and students with actions they can take to maximize their education. I would love it if at some point during this or any other podcast, you just hit pause or stop even and just go do something, take action that's going to help you. So let's talk a little bit about Noelle. Uh, she's a neuroeducational consultant, has her handle as NeuroNoelle. She's the founder of AAMPE and she's the author of ABC Worry-Free, a children's book that provides an actionable approach to managing anxiety and includes tips for educators and parents. So we are quite on the same page there. She has her BA in Education Special Ed and her MA in American Studies from Boston College. She served as an educator in various capacities, classroom teacher, learning specialist, adjunct professor, and personal development trainer at multiple locations. So quite a pedigree, Noel. <laughs> um, Thank you. So welcome, glad to have you here all the way from uh, the New England. That's right. And uh, so let's, let's get right to, the, it's, it's a provocative title, The Impact of Stress on Learning, right? And I don't think most people would argue that it's difficult to learn in a stressful environment. But we're really talking more about the individual, right? Uh, how they react. And uh, just to frame this, in case anybody is living in a cave, uh, we are doing this recording during uh, kind of the midpoint, maybe hopefully possibly even peak of this whole coronavirus circumstance. So everybody's a little stressed out baseline anyway. So what's your take on all this? Uh, you know, is this, uh, you know, pushing the needle over the edge? Is this abnormal stress? Is this just one more thing for everybody to worry about? Um, what are you seeing? What are your observations? Well, I am definitely hearing and seeing more anxious folks. And I think that people have to consider that this is a normal thing to be anxious. And certainly with you know the current health crisis going on, it would be completely normal to have an additional set of worries. So I think it's completely normal to a certain degree. What I try to really pay attention to is when people are worrying too much, 
you know, there are some things we, we need to be concerned about here and take some precautions with. There are times when, you know, we just get a little bit too hyper vigilant or um, are on like a spin cycle with worry. And then that really gets in the way of many things. You know, learning is one relationships is another jobs of course um, and then just overall life enjoyment so i am seeing an uptick um, i think that's to be expected and you know with the online learning there's been a lot of challenges which i'm sure you've you've heard about with some of your clients and some of the students are transitioning transitioning really smoothly and others are really having a challenge as are their parents so i mean of course there's a lot going on a lot a lot of parents are dealing with job uncertainty or working from home and trying to juggle and coordinate everything with their kids online learning and there's there's a lot going on well i'm observing many things um but I think if we put it as a broad category, there's clearly an environmental change, right? Mm -hmm. So six, eight weeks ago, people would leave, go to work, the kids would go off to school or to daycare. They'd come home, have dinner, and, you know, repeat the process, right? Um, so the fact that many people are at home, and in a sense, having to become teachers and employees or business owners, so the environmental piece is a huge change. The other obvious, well, maybe not obvious, but, but the, to me, the very obvious other change is the method of delivery of the education. So up till March, whatever, you know, a kid would go to school, sit in a class, the teacher would present the material, uh, do all the things that teachers typically do. And as an educator, I think you would follow this, teach it, give practice, check for understanding, cycle back. You know, there's a process that us teachers go through to try to ensure or feel like our students are learning what we want them to learn. And there's been a disconnect on that level. Um, let, let me ask you this. It, on a baseline level, uh, because you brought up a lot of things that, that we could talk about, but uh, I, school for some people is stressful, right? It just is. But uh, Let's talk about how you would deal with it, okay? So what advice might you give to parents that they could give to their children or maybe directly to the students if they're listening on, on number one, becoming aware of when the stress is maybe becoming a little bit off, you know, outside the normal, and maybe some coping mechanisms that you might suggest? Sure. So you, you just brought up a good point there. So there's a little bit of stress involved in learning. Right. So we have to have a little bit of stress yeah. just to get up out of bed and to get to work. Um, or it's that easy. We'd all be geniuses. Right. That's right. So we <laughs> have to have a little, but we don't want to have too much. Um, we want to kind of have this sweet spot of, of stress. And what we're noticing is that a lot of kids are not in that sweet spot. Um, they're they're in this um, chronic state of stress for many of them. And when I go into schools, I have over the years noticed an increase of seeing more kids acting out, spacing out, uh, teachers having more challenges with behavior issues in the classroom. 
and parents asking me, you know, what's going on? How come my student is just having so many, you know, challenges with motivation, um, being self-directed, can't get started? And so I'm hearing this from a lot of different um, folks, and I'm hearing from a lot of kids saying that they hate school. Um, I'm even hearing from coaches. I, I work with with athletes as well that they feel that they've taught a play and then the play is not executed and they, they, they're just wondering, are the kids paying attention? You know, there's a, there's a lot of questions about what's going on. And when students or human beings, it's, it's any, any person is in a state of, let's say, frustration, anger, fear, boredom or a lack of relevance to what they're doing or learning they're likely to be in a negative emotional state and when they're in those negative emotional states they're not very receptive to learning and some of them might actually have activated their stress response so that's one thing that i teach all my students and i feel it's really important for parents to know and for teachers and coaches to to understand the brain, get to know your brain more, and learn how that stress response works so that you can start to notice your warning signs. I work with a lot of students that tend to be anxious. And we have seen an increase, you're probably aware, um, and many of your listeners might be aware, we've seen about a 17% increase in anxiety over the past decade, and we've seen an increase in depression. So that's gonna get in the way of learning. And so I feel helping kids understand you have more control over this than you think by understanding your stress response is a good place to start. Would you like me to give an example? Of, or, I, I would, but before you do, let me just ask you one thing. When you say you've noticed this, I mean, you cited some clinical numbers, right? Obviously it's also in your personal caseload. Um, any, I mean, you know, the, I don't want to digress because um, you're, this is really where I want to go with it, but there's a laundry list of reasons I always people have people say about that. My kid can't learn because they spend too much time on video games. They're all violent. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that's not true. I just, you know, there's this like laundry list of these global, large uh, sort of macro contributors to all these issues. Um, but I, I, I think the, the fact that we have, clinical or medical evidence that there's actually a higher instance. I mean, 70% is one in five people, right? Yeah, it's about one in five. Right? Or more. Yeah. So if you're in a classroom, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I got 30 kids in my class. You know, I'm thinking six to eight, maybe have some level of anxiety or maybe not clinical anxiety, but uh, enough off the window of norm to affect their learning ability, right? Right. It, Is it's, that accurate? It's, I just want to make sure that's accurate. Yes. Or at least roughly um, accurate. Th those are about the numbers we're seeing. So if you think about that in the classroom, that gets very challenging for a teacher. Absolutely. Right. Very and the other students sometimes too. Um, yeah. If you could cite a case study or something that maybe, because one of the things I usually get um, is um, – a parents will say to me, well, yeah, my, my kid's fine. You know, it's it's 13 year old being a 13 year old or, you know, fill in the blank on the age and the behaviors. Um, but, but if you could talk about, you know, maybe cite a case study 
and maybe just give some um, non-clinical, we're not talking about medical diagnoses here, but maybe just some signs that a parent or, or a teacher might be able to recognize that would suggest that, you know, there's a conversation to approach these sort of things. And then, you know, any sort of coping tactics, you know, would be awesome. So let's start with the case study. I'm sure you probably have a thousand of them, but I, I do. anyone I, that comes to mind here in particular? Well, I, I could start with myself. Okay. I can tell you as a kid, um, and, and I can integrate learning about the stress response at the same time um, that okay. I, I start with myself, and then I can tell you about- so We're flashing back 15 years when you were in high school. Oh, yeah. I've had a few more digits yeah, to that. <laughs> I was never very good at math. You know, I'm a math teacher, but uh, go ahead. No, I, I didn't understand the stress response as a kid. Um, I didn't understand this as an adult. I was never trained in this as a teacher. I'm a former classroom teacher mm -hmm. um, and learning specialist. I was never trained, you know, in my teacher preparation about understanding the neuroscience and how the brain likes to learn and how we can use this to our advantage. So, and I can tell you how I got into it if we, you know, if we have time at some point. But as a kid, it would have been very helpful for me to understand my stress response. On the way to science class, and I know that this is one of your, your favorite topics, science and math. On my way to science class and sometimes math class, I'm thinking worried thoughts, so the science class is my trigger. I'm thinking worried thoughts as I head to that science class. I'm thinking that teacher doesn't really like me, I'm not doing really well in this class, I don't understand the information. I walk into the class, Teachers, you know, looking at me, I'm t interpreting that look to mean that uh, I don't really like you. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm starting to have more worried thoughts. That activates a part of my brain called the amygdala. And it mm -hmm. sends this mayday message to my brain that my girl's in trouble. Which, which probably yeah. spirals it even worse. That's right. And then what happens is all these stress chemicals start to flood through your body, and now physiologically you feel different. So now I'm sitting in class feeling that rapid heartbeat. I'm feeling a little stomach ache. I'm, you know, distracted by those physical sensations, and then my mind is is going on spin cycle again about like I'm now playing a video in my mind that she's going to call on me. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to know what I'm talking about. I'm going to look stupid. And before you know it, I'm in fight, flight, or freeze. So that's how that stress response cycle works. Now, and when now, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to ask you a question when you're done, though. So with fight, flight, or freeze, what it looked like for me was freeze. I had that deer in the headlights look. Please don't call on me because I have no idea what you're talking about. And I just had this kind of rigid, stuck look. And what I remember about that class <laughs> is just please don't call on me. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't remember the content because I was so focused on, you know, being afraid. Almost a, almost a survival issue. That's right. I mean, not so literally, but mentally. In those moments is the, your learning part of your brain, your, your prefrontal cortex is basically blocked. It's like a stop sign goes up in the mm -hmm. brain. You're present in that classroom, but you're not taking in the information. Because so you're too worried what, about your own self-care in a sense. That's right. So right. like say, for example, Steve, if 
um, a lion walked into your office right now, as much as we'd love to continue this conversation, <laughs> you're going to go to fight, flight, or freeze, right? And so we're not going to be in a state to learn at, in this moment. And, and for many kids, they're feeling like there's a tiger chasing them in the classroom. Interesting. So when I, when I go into to, uh, school, what I'm seeing in real time are the kids who are acting out. So I, I know a lot of those kids are in fight mode. I'm seeing kids spacing out a lot. So, so that's the freeze the kids, mode. They could be in freeze. And then I see those kids that just play dead. They just put their head down on the desk and they're just done. I'm done. You also have those kids that are asking to go to the restroom or the nurse a lot. Uh -oh. So those kids are in flight. They just want to escape and get out of there. So that's what I'm seeing in real time. Um, the, the is there any, uh, is, is there an age demographic, for example, are you seeing this more, let's just say in a 10th grade environment than a fifth grade or a second grade, or is it, is it like, does it take a person time to sort of build up this uh, self um, doubt or I'm, I don't know if that's the best choice of words. Um, uh, it, I mean, it, are you finding that you get a higher incidence this as classes become more complex and the academics become more challenging or is it, it just, it is what it is. What I'm seeing now is it's happening more frequently at all ages. And what I'm noticing is we're seeing this happening more at younger ages. That, so so that's the, that's the trend. Yes. We used to see this, you know, maybe as things really ramped up competitive, you know, competitive wise um, and the stakes were really rising, maybe you'd start to see a little bit in middle school, but more in high school. Right. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing it, you know, even at very young ages, um, it could even be, you know, primary grades in elementary school. I'm sure some of it is real. I'm, I mean, listen, not everybody is great at it. I, I, what you're describing was sort of me in English class because I never really liked to write, but uh, I dealt with it. But how much – this has to be one of these – like maybe in the beginning it's like 5%. Like I don't like math, I'm afraid. And then over time it becomes an, an overwhelming phenomenon or could be, so, almost, almost sort of crippling in a sense mentally. Um, how do you – I mean – what's what's the uh what's the coping what's the treatment is it is it i'm sure it's multiple multifarious but where do you start recognition so one of the first things i do is teach kids about their brain and i teach them about that stress response and i want them to be able to read it, repeat it back to me go teach that to your parents or to a friend and they start to notice their warning signs. So these are all real symptoms. Those sensations you're feeling in your body. Because the brain does not discern between, let's say, a real emergency like a fire, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, a perceived threat. Let's say, for example, my smoke detector went off right now, right? We might, you know say, wait a minute, is there a real fire here? Or is it just because my husband is making toast and, uh, right. you know, that's it, right? So is this a, a life-threatening situation? Or is this just maybe an annoyance or something that's worry worrying me? 
the brain doesn't see the difference between those two threats and it does its job of kicking into the stress response because it wants to protect us. So we can't completely eliminate anxiety because we need that stress response to work when there is a real emergency. But what's happening for a lot of kids is they're perceiving some of these non-life-threatening emergencies, let's say it's taking a test, could be one that could trigger one child, um, going to a sleepover might trigger another child. Um, mm. You know, so whatever that child's trigger is, it can activate that stress response. So these are real symptoms in real time and helping the kids notice their warning signs, their worried thoughts is their first warning sign. So if I start to notice, oh gosh, I'm going into science class now. I don't know this information. I didn't do the homework. Oh boy, might have a pop quiz. I, am, I, I have to really catch myself with those worried thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then I have to also really pay attention to how my body feels. So those are two things parents can help their kids with and students can start to notice how their body feels when they're stressed. And then you can interrupt that stress cycle if you let your brain know, okay, I am stressed right now, I'm feeling uncomfortable, and I can deal with this. This is, you know, I'm not loving this, not loving this science class. I can do something about this. I can start taking notes or I can get help after school or this might take more time than I thought. Or, or maybe I, just communicate with the teacher that you're having these anxieties. Yes. So there's a lot I try to teach kids that they can do, but learning about their brain, the stress response, and I do teach kids a lot about neuroplasticity, which is that we know it's a process that your brain can change continuously throughout life based on how you use it. So based on, let's say, your practice, the amount of effort you put into something, um, how well you implement feedback or make corrections um, to mistakes. So all of that will help change your brain um, for the better. I also teach them there's lots of ways you can train your brain for the worse too so oh, i yeah. teach them about neuroplasticity and then, down. I, yeah and i teach them a lot about giving them hope that change is possible some of them at first don't believe change is possible and some of them have heard some messaging from some folks in their lives that sent them the message change was impossible for them too so helping them understand that we can flip that is really a big part of it. So changing their mindset is mm -hmm. part of the work um, that I do as well. Interesting. Uh, Steve Green here with the Make the Great podcast. My guest, Noel Foy, a.k.a. Nora Noel. Some fascinating insights, I think. Uh, we're going to keep going with it a little bit. Let me ask you this. I, I, let's just go back to your uh, analogy. A, 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 man-eating tiger comes into my office, that, that's a temporary situation, right? Either it's going to eat me or it's going to run away. I'm going to somehow avoid it or stab it with a pencil or <laughs> whatever I can do, right? But a kid having to go to school 180 days a year is not something they can necessarily opt out of, right? So I think what's exacerbating this maybe is the idea that every day you've got a renewal of the stimulus, right? So to use your uh, situation, 
you you have a, a trigger to go to science class, but you know every day at third period or whatever you've got to go to science class. So as second period is ending, you're already starting to build that up, and you're starting to think of excuses or whatever. And maybe you know later in the day you're okay with it, uh, but the next day you have to cope with it again. It's like a Groundhog Day thing, right? That's so right. I think part of this, which I think is excellent, is teaching the coping and the recognition to break this cycle. Otherwise, it could easily you know, by October, November, December or whatever, uh, you're spinning out of control with it. Um, and I, the other thing you brought up, I think, is really interesting because I see this a lot in the academic side. Um, and, and probably the word is enabling, right? Um, we need, the students need a positive reinforcement system. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really try to do with students, especially ones that are at risk and struggling, is make sure the parents whoever else is on the team, a psychologist, sometimes teachers, whatever, are all on the same page. And they've got to buy in to what I'm trying to, a plan I'm setting up for the child. Otherwise, I work with them an hour or two, they go home and they they regress right back or even worse to where they were because, ah, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. I mean, it's, it's awful what I hear sometimes kids tell me that the messages they're getting from people that they would like to trust and want to please, right? Young kids, that's half what they don't do. They just want to make their parents happy um, uh, it, is that doable with this whole situation? I mean, you can, I, I, I can see clearly how you could educate the kids. And I think they would find the neurophysiology at the level you're going to teach it to be interesting because we all have a brain, hopefully a functional one. Um, but you know, they go home and an 11 year old, whatever, 15 year old goes home and they start telling their parents, well, I learned about the hippocampus and the frontal lobe. And eh, what do you know about the brain? You know, is, is, uh, that's probably, at least in my view, maybe not even, maybe even more important. Because if we only have the kids an hour or two at a time, right? They're at home six, eight, ten hours a day, longer now, in in our new normal. Um, so that that reinforcement piece, that new structure, that support system, I I think at least personally is really important. Um, and let me ask you this: Is it is it likely? at least in your viewpoint, that a person who has these anxieties in an academic and a school setting is going to have them in other places as well, like driving, I don't know, just personal interactions with people, or does it tend to be really micro-focused on single triggers? So if you have an anxiety disorder, um, anxiety likes to jump you will tend to have it in one domain and maybe not in another. Let's say I had it in science class, but then socially I, I didn't have it, right? Or it could be vice versa. Um, but some, for, very, for, for um, a, a certain amount of anxious kids, they might start off, let's say, not wanting to go on the bus, right? And then maybe they get over that hurdle, but then it goes to now I don't want to go to school. And then they get over that hurdle. Then it jumps to, I don't want to go to a sleepover. So it can jump from um, situation to situation. Um, and if kids, so what I want to really send the message about is that anxiety is treatable. You know, so for kids that are having um, challenges with anxiety, whether it's a, you know, let's say a full-blown anxiety disorder, or you're just having some anxiety, especially with what's going on in the world now, this is a great opportunity to learn coping skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think parents too, um, it's a great opportunity 
to send that messaging for themselves and for their kids. And, you know, in my book, one thing that I do teach my students and teachers too is, and, and I've used it with athletes and coaches as well, is the ABC strategy. And the strategy incorporates mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy, which we can dive into, you know, in another conversation. But those are two effective treatments for anxiety and to help kind of calm people. Mm. So the A step is about accepting how you feel. So let's say I'm petrified to make mistakes in science class. I have to accept that. As a kid, I didn't. I was just getting mad at myself and I was very frustrated. What's wrong with me? So you accept how you feel. That automatically brings, that's the A. That's the first step. That brings automatically the anxiety down a notch. Then, you know, I talked about in that stress response, how we get those worried thoughts that send those mayday messages that make us our body feel different. So now we have to reset ourselves with some slow, deep breathing. So that's the B step. By, by breathing slow and deep, you're going to help bring that anxiety down a little bit more so you can reset and get your legs back under you so that you could be receptive to learn again, right? And then the C is about changing your thinking. So let's say I'm thinking I can't make a mistake in this class. I'm going to get yelled at um, or I'll be humiliated. I have to flip my thinking to something more productive, such as, hey, mistakes help me learn. Um, mistakes are going to help me. By, by correcting these mistakes, I'm going to take my game to the next level. Mistakes are just part of the learning process. Always, um, always will be. Right? So just mm -hmm. flipping my thinking about that relieves some of that, that, those worried thoughts. And I have that mindset now that I'm going into the classroom versus, oh, my gosh, I can't make a mistake. So I'm going to be humiliated. And I help kids get more comfortable with discomfort. So to do, you know, what I just described, I'd have to be able to go back into that classroom the next day. You know, as you, you said earlier, these kids have to go back to school the next day, right? I have to be ready to step in to be a little uncomfortable. I have to expect worry's going to show up that next day. But now I have three steps in my mind that are going to help me push through that worry. And if I get the wrong answer, I'm willing to take that chance today. It's you know? uh, right. So it, it's, it's a mindset shift. It's a new paradigm. It's a shift. That's but right. You're teaching what seems to be a very, very simple, I'm not saying easy, but a simple way to do it, right? Let's accept we have an issue. Let's reset physiologically. I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to do anyway. And then you just say, look, I'm going to make a mistake. It's okay. Um, Let's do this because we're going to wrap this up in a second. And there's a 400 other things we could definitely talk about. Uh, you mentioned your book, a published author, quite an honor. Um, you want to talk about that and plug that for a minute? And then we're going to kind of wrap this up and talk about our next conversation. So tell us about your book. What's it called, first of all? Um, so the book's called ABC Worry Free. Huh. And I wrote this book, Steve, in a response to the spike that we were seeing in anxiety. And I just felt that more parents and educators and students needed some resources to help them have some practical applications. So hopefully with a story that's kind of fun and engaging and relatable, 
but also a teachable book that you could walk away with a practical application. And the back page actually has um, some tips for educators and parents too. So the book has been my way of trying to do something about this spike. And I, you know, I've made some videos that accompany the book as well okay. that are on YouTube that um, I think kids are enjoying and have even been inserted into some online learning classes as well. And I do teach that strategy, ABC strategy, um, online too. There's a, a video at Neuro Noel YouTube okay. where I, I dig down into that ABC strategy. It's, it is something that takes a little practice. You know, for some kids, Steve, um, we know emotions impact learning. Negative emotions can certainly work against us with learning. Many of them have built up years of thinking about themselves as not being you know, um, smart or not being uh, successful in school. And it takes a little bit of practice for them. So you, know, um, you have a YouTube channel that would just search. What would you search on YouTube? Um, for the ABC strategy, you would search Neuro Noel. That's N-E-U-R-O, Noel, N-O-E-L. Not Nicole. No, not Nora Nicole. Nora Noel. Not Nora Nicole, but I like that name too. <laughs> I got the. <laughs> Honestly, my mother and, does. And it. we'll uh, we'll put this all in the show notes for the parents out there who are saying, "Wow, I got to get a hold of this book." Uh, website. How do you how do you get it in somebody's hands? Oh, well, you can always get it on Amazon. Uh, the book okay. was published by the National Center for Youth Issues, so you can okay. always get it there. Um, so Amazon will be the most accessible. Pro yeah, accessible. Yeah. ABC. Where if, you know, it's interesting. I had a guest on yesterday, and I think they needed your book. They were so worried about saying the wrong thing, <laughs> uh, making a mistake, uh, not having their, you know, their image on the screen completely perfect. And uh, I think it got a little bit in the way of their uh, ability to communicate what they really wanted to say. And they, they relaxed, you know, as time went on. But uh, I, my point, I think, is that you wrote this for children. But it's really a book for anyone. Absolutely. I mean, employ people work, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you are. Every job has stress. And every job is going to have triggers. Everybody gets nervous about something. Um, and having a coping mechanism, even if it's very, very simple, is, is a super important life tool. Absolutely. And it's not like you got to spend seven years learning at least the surface level of what you're, uh, of what you're suggesting here. Um, let's close it out like this. Cause, uh, I, I would love to have you back on some future episodes here. We've got way more things we can dig deep into, but just to summarize and, and, and chime in here whenever you, as an educator and a person boots on the ground, you have observed, and this is substantiated by research, a, a significant increase in anxieties and anxiety behaviors in kids. And, and worse, it's getting, it's presenting at younger and younger levels. Um, your mission is to help teachers, parents, and students themselves, most importantly, learn coping me mechanisms to address this. Um, did I miss anything? No, basically that's it in a nutshell. I do trainings with teachers. So I do teacher trainings. Okay. I do parent workshops. And then I still work just like you do one-on-one -on -one with students providing support as well. Um, and my key topics are anxiety, executive function, metacognition, and growth mindset, you know, and, and helping kids, like to your point, you're always talking about maximizing learning. 
Yes. Help them maximize their learning and their performance. And stress really can get in the way of that when they have too much stress. Um, so helping teachers with this, this is something that unfortunately, unless you have teachers who really go out of their way to educate themselves or they happen to get some professional learning through their school or they pay for it on their own. This mm -hmm. is not something that's typically part of typical teacher training. No. So I feel a lot of teachers are up against a lot of challenges that they're not completely prepared for. So I try to help those teachers, you know, with some skills and some strategies that will help them in the classroom and then help parents. I do a lot of workshops with parents as well. It's a huge vision. But what kind of just popped into my thinking is, and I, it kind of reminds me of the Montessori model, but is it, wouldn't it be kind of interesting if, if flash forward however many years, there were schools or educational centers where this sort of thinking was sort of uh, like just part of the whole mindset. And, and just to be clear, I am not in any way, shape or form disparaging teachers because us, you know this, we have our hands full in the classroom just managing X number of kids for 42 minutes to create a meaningful lesson. And we can't be all things to every kid in the room at once. I understand that. And you're right. I went through between college, grad school, nine years of training to be a teacher. And this just isn't taught. It's not part of the curriculum. So there, there's no blame that teachers aren't necessarily uh, have a background, make it in services or whatever. Um, but it's kind of an interesting idea, you know, as you create a whole model of a school, and there are obviously schools for kids with special needs, et cetera, uh, where there's a sensitivity to this and, and it's a learned thing. So if, if the kid, the, I, I would assume the younger a kid learns these coping mechanisms, the earlier that they can eradicate the reactions, which prevents them becoming bigger, bigger, and more deeply ingrained. And therefore I would suspect harder to uh, correct and, and change later. That's so right. I think early yeah, intervention would be important. The earlier the kids start learning some coping skills, the better. And there's a lot of you know studies to support that kids who learn these earlier, even if they have anxious parents, um, tend to do better. You know, and some of them don't even present with anxiety themselves um, because the parents are coached too. And I'd right. love to have another conversation sometime about accommodations. You had brought that um, up. Let, let, let's schedule time. that. That uh, would be a good conversation. And to your point about teachers, I'm a former teacher. They work so hard and they, mm -hmm. they really um, yep. I think are being asked to, you know, to manage a lot of situations that they're not entirely prepared to, to, to handle. You probably shouldn't and have to, frankly. I think it's very frustrating for them. Um, so I'm there to support them. Steve Green here. My guest, Nicole. Oh, no hell foy. I don't know how I got that in my head. I got to... Do something here, because I'll tell you why later. I had a friend. Kind of no, there was somebody I went to high school with, and that was her name, and that's why. Um, Noel, wealth of information, but more importantly, really practical, hands-on stuff, right? This is stuff because the goal of this podcast and everything else I do is something people can now turn this off, move on, and put this into action. Accept, breathe, change, right? It's just that simple, right? Um, yeah. Love it. Uh, love to have you back on. We'll talk about that. I'll give you the last word here. Anything you want to say to the uh, 14,723,000 listeners here? <laughs> um, well, I'd love to just, you know, support parents and, and teachers and students. And I know they're all working really hard. And I would start by really getting to know your amazing brain and, and learn about neuroplasticity and 
there's a lot that um, kids can do and that parents can do just with their communication tips and with strategies that can really empower folks. So I want to give them a message of hope. There's a lot of things they can do and there's a lot of misunderstandings that still persist about anxiety and stress. So hopefully we can have a conversation about that another time too. But Excellent. I want to send a message of hope and empowerment. Love it. Can't have too much positivity in the world now or any time in my opinion. So let's wrap it up. Steve Green, the Make the Grade podcast, hoping you will take action. Put what we've heard here today and in the, all the other episodes in place. If you have any questions, comments, love to hear your feedback. Please subscribe. Please share this podcast if you found it helpful because I believe uh, Noel's message is excellent, but I believe the more parents, the more students, more children that get this type of information on this podcast and in and, and all of them, uh, really the better it is for everyone. It's, it's, it's just I really firmly believe that is my mission uh, professionally and in my life. So get with you next time. Thank you. See you on social media at Make the Grade, on Facebook, all that stuff. If you want to communicate with me directly, S-G-R-E-E-N-E at makethegrade.net. Nicole, what's your email? You want to give that out? Um, you can reach me at noel, N-O-E-L, at amp, A-M-M-P-E dot com. Okay, we got Thank it there. Thank you for your mission, Steve. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely, your really enjoyed it, and uh, we will do this again soon. See everybody next time. Have a great week. So long. You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.